Hello, and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 2. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you love creating stories, or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we are talking about Becoming Part 1, the first part of the two-part finale of Season 2. There's so much to talk about here, a few points in particular. The use of recurring images and actions to link the characters' stories together. What I think is the best use of flashbacks we have seen in Buffy so far because those flashbacks tell a story of their own. Major plot points through the midpoint for the two-episode story arc, and in the spoiler section, how this episode sets up the next one, Season 3, and Willow's series arc. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Becoming Part 1 was written and directed by Joss Whedon. We start with a voiceover. We'll later meet this character, Whistler, a demon who seems to be on the side of good. He says, here's the thing, there's moments in your life that make you. And he goes on to talk about that some are little or subtle and some are not. A subtitle tells us we are in Galway 1763. Angel, as a human, and his friend are being thrown out of a pub. Angel sees a woman. She walks down an alley. She looks a lot like the drawing of the woman in the fancy dress that Buffy saw in the Halloween episode in The Watcher Diaries. Angel follows her and asks what a lady of her station is doing in an alley with a reputation like this one. Darla says maybe she's lonely. Angel offers himself as escort. He sounds like a bit of a smartass and kind of smarmy, but she smiles. The two talk, and Darla tells him she's from far away. Angel says he's never been anywhere himself. This is the first time he sounds genuine, as he says he's always wanted to see the world. Darla's eyes light up, and she says she can show him things he's never seen. Angel says, show me your world. And Darla says, close your eyes. He does. She goes into Vamp Face, holds him, and bites him. Now his eyes open. She lets go, he drops to his knees, and she draws her nail across her own skin, above her breasts, drawing a line of blood. She brings his face to her, and he drinks. This whole scene implies that Angel chose the vampire life despite that he didn't fully know what he was choosing. And maybe this is part of why we blame Angel or the show blames Angel for his wrongdoing as a vampire. Or at least maybe it is why he is so willing to take on that guilt. We're only at 2 minutes 52 seconds into the episode. The scene fades and shifts into Angelus in the present day. He's watching Buffy. She's fighting a vampire in the cemetery. 
Buffy knocks the vamp down and tells him to get a message to Angel. She's done fighting. She says, I'm taking the fight to him. But the vamp here keeps on fighting and Buffy has to stake him. She walks behind a tombstone and helps someone up. We see that it's Xander. He says, what is that, five vampires? Buffy says, yes, in two nights, but no Angel. Xander asks if she's really that anxious to come up against Angel, and she says she wants it over with. And then that they better go. She hasn't even started studying for finals. And Xander says something like, oh, finals, why didn't you let me die? Buffy says, look on the bright side, it'll all be over soon. We're at 4 minutes, 19 seconds, and Angel from the shadows says to himself, yes, my love, it will. And we go to credits. This is about 10% through the episode. Usually at that point in any story, we see the story spark or inciting incident that gets the story rolling. But Becoming is part one of a two-episode arc. So 10% in would be more like 8, 9, 10 minutes in. Our next scene after the credits shows us what really got the story rolling, though we don't know exactly when it happened. At 5 minutes 19 seconds in, two men in a museum are working on a large rectangular rock. It stands about 10 feet tall. It's a few feet deep, maybe 5 feet wide, gray stone with writing on it. Giles walks into the room. The curator is happy to see him, saying he called the Washington Institute and they told him that the best authority in obscure relics was right here in Sunnydale. If you hadn't seen the show before, you would know something about Giles. The curator says the construction workers dug up this rock outside of town and they don't know what it is. Interestingly, the rock looks a little like the monoliths we see in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., another Joss Whedon show. And I mention it only because it shows that, like all artists, Whedon has recurring themes and imagery that comes back into his stories. I've noticed this in many writers' work, including my own, and I always feel like I need to be a little cautious about repeating those themes But on the other hand, it clearly is part of what drives each of us to create. And audience members are often drawn to those same visions and images. Here, Giles looks over the rock. He uses a pick to scrape a sample into a jar and sees that there is a seam in the rock and says he assumes they haven't tried to open it. The curator hadn't realized it could be opened, and he's ready to go ahead right now, but Giles asks him to wait. He wants to translate the text on it first, and the curator says, you don't want to be surprised. Giles says, as a rule, no. This is our first callback to the episode Surprise. That was part one of the two-part episode where Angel lost his soul, a pivotal point for the series and for Buffy and Angel, as this two-parter now is. The next scene takes place in the cafeteria. Xander acts out Buffy's fight scene from the night before using fish sticks and a toothpick. Cordelia laughs. Oz says, I thought it was riveting. I was a little unclear about some of the themes. 
Willow is sitting on Oz's lap, so we quickly learn that she has a boyfriend, even if we missed previous episodes, or if we only saw Go Fish and weren't aware of Oz at all. Buffy says the theme of the story is that Angel is too much of a coward to face her. Xander says the other theme was by American, but it got kind of buried. Willow asks if Buffy thinks she's ready to face Angel. Buffy says she wishes people would stop asking her she's ready. She's also willing and able. It's the one test I'm likely to pass. Willow says, don't worry, she'll get Buffy through finals. And at about eight and a half minutes in, they agree to meet in Willow's classroom to go over chemistry after sixth period. I see this as the story spark for the two-part story. Even though it's a little short of 10% through the double episode, and though we don't know why it's so significant yet, this decision sets the story in motion because in the classroom after school is where and when Buffy will find that lost plastic disc with Jenny's spell on it to restore Angel's soul. It's not completely clear here, though, where exactly a single story spark is. Unlike other episodes where even one of the points is unclear and it kind of muddles the plot for me, I don't feel that way here. And maybe it's because we already have so many plots in motion. We've got this flashback on Angel and the sense that we are going to learn more about that because of Whistler's voiceover. We have the finding of this uh, rock or monolith, and we have Buffy's tension over schoolwork. Back to the cafeteria, Cordelia expresses admiration for Willow. She says Willow really has the teaching bug. She's taking over the computer class, tutoring, and it's great because that way when she goes out and fails in the real world, she'll be falling forward into something instead of falling back. Xander says that was about 65% actual compliment, and was that a personal best? This is more nice use of kind of low-level conflict to get in more exposition, this time about Willow taking over Miss Callender's class. Cordelia laughs and squeals as she and Xander joke around, and she tells him to get his fish hands off of her. A nice uh, double reference to fish sticks that he just used and the last episode, Go Fish. Principal Snyder, though, is not amused and he walks in and tells them that's enough. And he turns to Willow and says, and you, is there a chair shortage? Willow says she didn't read about a, oh, I get it, and slides into a chair. And Snyder says, this isn't an orgy, people, it's a classroom. Buffy says, yeah, where they teach lunch. Snyder responds, just give me a reason to kick you out, Summers. Just give me a reason. This echoes early in the season when Snyder told Giles that, uh, I think he said, I smell an expulsion coming. And throughout, he has been pinpointing Buffy as what he sees as um, the source of a lot of the trouble in the school. Now we're about 9 minutes 40 seconds in, and we switch to London, 1860. A woman in a veil kneels and crosses herself in church. It's Drusilla. She goes into a confessional. If you haven't been in one of these, there are three booths. The priest is in the center, 
And on either side, a person can come in and wait to confess their sins to the priest. The booths were, for the most part, soundproof until the priest slid open this window. But there was a net or grate over that window so that uh, neither side could really see each other. And the idea was that the priest wouldn't know who was making their confession. As the audience, we see that Angelus is in the confessional and has just killed the priest. Drusilla is unaware. She says it's two days since her last confession. Angel plays the role of the priest. At first, it seems like he's doing it just to avoid detection, but then he becomes intrigued by her. So we're seeing now the first time he meets Drusilla, and he is hidden from her in the same way that later in the episode he will be hidden when he first sees Buffy. Drusilla sounds as lucid as we've ever heard her, and I love this glimpse into her life as a human. She tells Angel she's been seeing again, that yesterday something came over her. She saw a horrible crash in the mine. Her mother told her it meant nothing, but then today there was a cave-in and two men died. Her mother told Drusilla she's cursed. She's an affront to God. Drusilla says she doesn't mean to do it to see things. She's so upset She tells Angel she tries to be pure, and she's crying as she says, I don't want to be an evil thing. Angel tells her to hush. The Lord has a plan for all his creatures, even a devil child like you. All the Hail Marys in the world won't help that. She begs him. She wants to be pure. Please help her, please. And he says, finally, say, 10 our fathers and an act of contrition. How does that sound? She thanks him and he tells her God is watching her. From previous episodes, we know that after this, he tormented her, killed all her family, tortured her until she went into a convent, then turned her into a vampire. That part is not said here, but we do see what ultimately happens to Drusilla because the scene switches to her drifting into the courtyard in the dark. She says the moon started whispering to her. Something terrible is coming. It's at the museum, a tomb with a surprise inside. So this is our second mention of surprise. And it cues us that this will affect Buffy and Angel in some cataclysmic way. We're at almost 13 and a half minutes in. I see this as a one-quarter twist in the episode. That major plot turn generally comes from outside the protagonist and spins the story in a new way. Though we are in a two-episode story arc, so we aren't at its one-quarter point yet, I do like the way this episode has its own momentum because this scene does turn the story. Drew, Angel, and Spike learn about the museum find. Not without a little bit of sparring between Angel and Spike, because Angel says to Drusilla, you can see all that in your head. And Spike says, no, you ninny. She read it in the morning paper. And he hands Angel the paper with a front page article about an obelisk being found. Angel says, soon it'll stop whispering. Soon it'll scream. The scene switches to Buffy and Willow in Willow's classroom. 
Buffy says, wow, this doesn't make any sense. And Willow says, sure it does. She takes Buffy's paper. Oh, no, this doesn't make any sense. Buffy says it's senseless. She's frustrated and feels stupid. But Willow says at least she knows that, so she's learning. Buffy, feeling more encouraged, is about to look at her paper again, but her pencil slips out of her fingers, rolls across the desk, and falls into the space between the desk and the file cabinet. We see there a small plastic disc back from the episode Passion where Jenny was killed. She had saved the spell to restore Angel's soul on this disc, and it fell there, and nobody knew about it. Buffy doesn't see it now when she retrieves her pencil. She sits up again and says, okay, I'm learn girl. But as Willow talks, Buffy says deja vu and says she has a perfect memory of the pencil rolling. And she sets it rolling again. It drops again into that space. And this time Buffy notices the disc when she retrieves the pencil. She hands it to Willow who says it's not hers, but it must be Miss Calendar's. She pops it into the disk drive. Buffy says it seems kind of morbid to look at Miss Calendar's files, and Willow says she's been through most of them. Buffy asks if that makes Willow more or less morbid, and Willow says she had to do it to teach the class. So we have more conflict, somewhat minor, but it helps us get in that exposition why Willow is teaching, that uh, she looked at Jenny's files, and that Jenny is dead. The file decrypts. Buffy is looking at it and says, does that say restoration? Willow, though, is not looking at the screen. She's looking at Buffy and says, oh, it's probably one of Miss Calendar's spells, even though she wasn't a practicing witch. So we get a little more exposition and it fits because Buffy might not know all of what Willow has been finding on the computer or that much about Miss Calendar's spells. And there is tension because Buffy is tense. She's staring at the screen, seeing something that Willow has missed, and she interrupts and says, Willow. Willow looks and says, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And we cut. That scene works whether you know the backstory or not. So it's a great example of how to handle that if you are writing any sort of installment series, a movie, a novel. Sometimes you need to quickly catch your reader up on past events. And this is a good way to do it. To have enough to put it in context for the new viewer woven in with a little bit of tension that keeps it interesting and avoiding having so much detail that it bores the audience that already knows what happened. Our next scene shows the original spell to restore Angel's soul. So this is another flashback. It's the point of view of someone who is running and breathing hard. We switch between that and a gray-haired woman chanting with candles lit. Angel is running. He falls to the ground. A glass orb by the old woman. It glows. Angel's eyes glow. He is disoriented. He asks where he is. A man has come to meet him, and he tells Angel that everything he's done, he'll remember it all in a moment, the face of everyone he's killed. It will all haunt him, and he will know true suffering. Angel says, killed? I don't, I don't... 
And then it hits him and he says, no, no, no. And he's sobbing. Because we're living in anxious times, Today's episode is sponsored by my book, Happiness, Anxiety, and Writing, Using Your Creativity to Live a Calmer, Happier Life. Asking what if and imagining worst possible outcomes works great to ratchet up tension and conflict in stories, but in real life it adds to anxiety as do a lot of habits creative people develop. This book shares ways to use your imagination to create a calmer, happier life rather than increasing your stress. The book covers techniques to derail anxious thoughts you otherwise repeat, ways to talk to yourself and others that promote calm rather than reinforce worry, specific targeted exercises to direct your creative mind and imagination in a positive way, and how and when to write and rewrite the best parts of your life for greater happiness. Part memoir, part how-to, I include in the book examples from my own experience dealing with anxiety and learning to create a more relaxed and healthier lifestyle. Look for Happiness, Anxiety, and Writing by L.M. Lilly on Amazon, through your local bookstore, wherever you buy ebooks, or through the link in the show notes. This episode, I think, has the best use of flashbacks that we've seen because these flashbacks, if we put them all together, tell their own story, which is the story of Angel becoming a vampire, getting a soul, and later wanting to end the world, as well as some of what happens in between. They also carry our theme of becoming. Angel becoming a vampire, Drusilla becoming a vampire, and a little bit later, Buffy becoming the Slayer. At nearly 18 minutes in, we are in the library. Buffy and Willow tell the others that Miss Callender was trying to replicate the curse to restore Angel's soul. Cordelia says, this is good, right? I mean, we can curse him again. Giles says it points the way, but it requires more black arts knowledge than he has. Willow, though, says she's been researching the black arts for fun, educational fun, and she may be able to do the spell. Giles warns her that channeling such potent magics through herself could open a door she can't close. Buffy says she doesn't want Willow putting herself in danger. Willow also says she doesn't want danger, big no to danger, but she might be the best person to do this. Xander jumps in and says, hi, For those of you who have just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. He goes on to say that so the spell might restore Angel's humanity. Who cares? Angel's a killer. He stands as he's talking. And Buffy says it's not that simple. They argue Cordelia stands behind Xander and says he has a point. He gets angry and says for once he wishes she'd support him. And then that he realizes she did and now he's embarrassed. So he'll just go back to his point, Angel needs to die. Giles says cursing Angel seems to have been Jenny's last wish. 
And Xander says, yeah, well, Jenny's dead. I think this may be the only time that Xander calls her Jenny rather than Miss Calendar. Giles steps toward him and says, don't you ever. They're all yelling and Buffy yells at them to stop it. Buffy and Willow face each other. The camera does a close up on them and Willow asks Buffy what she wants. As always, the great friend. Buffy doesn't know what she wants, but she says what happened to Angel wasn't his fault. And Xander says, yeah, but what happened to Miss Calendar is. He goes on to say that Buffy can paint it any way she wants, but the way he sees it, you want to forget all about Miss Calendar's murder so you can get your boyfriend back. Buffy walks out. We are a little past 20 minutes in. So we are nearing the midpoint of the episode and the one quarter point timing wise of the two episode arc. At a story's midpoint, we usually see a major reversal for the protagonist or a major commitment to the quest or both. So we will see one of those at the end of this episode, which is the midpoint of the two-episode arc. Here, though, I think it's interesting that we do see a bit of a reversal for Buffy in that she is so discouraged that her friends, at least Xander and Cordelia, are not supporting her. And Giles is warning of the danger of doing this thing. The next scene also has something of a reversal for Buffy As Drusilla, Angel, and other vampires go to the museum and kill the curator, Angel looks at that giant stone and says, I'll take one of these to go. At 20 minutes, 50 seconds in, Buffy is on the phone to Willow. She's gathering supplies for patrolling, and she says, yes, Xander was pretty much being a, Willow, where did you learn that word? This is nice. We don't technically need this moment, but I like that the show acknowledges that Xander was being awful. As Buffy gathers supplies, she sees the ring that Angel gave her. She is holding it and looking at it as she tells Willow she doesn't know what she wants to do. And the Buffy and Angel theme music plays in the background. In the next scene, Buffy is out patrolling and Kendra, the other vampire slayer, surprises her. Buffy tells her, you know, polite people call before they jump out of bushes to attack you. She guesses the reason Kendra is there, that Kendra's watcher told her a dark power is about to rise in Sunnydale. Kendra says that's pretty much it, and Buffy says any idea what it is. And here we get one of my favorite cuts ever in Buffy, because we switch to um, Spike, Angel, and Drusilla. So Buffy has just said any idea what it is, and Spike says, it's a big rock. I can't wait to tell my friends. They don't have a rock this big. They are all in a long hallway. He is in his wheelchair at one end. The rock is at the other end of the hall. And Spike, Angel, and Drusilla are looking at it. Angel responds to Spike. And he is scornful. He says, Spike never learned history. And Spike says, let's have a lesson then. Angel says the demon Akathala was meant to swallow the world. But he was killed by a virtuous knight who pierced his heart and a Cathala turned to stone. He was buried where neither man nor demon would want to look, unless, of course, they're putting up low-rent housing. 
The other vampires open the stone box and inside is a cathala made of stone but with a sword piercing into his chest. Angel says that when someone worthy pulls out the sword, a cathala will awaken and swallow the world whole. Angel approaches a cathala and says, my friends, we're about to make history. End. This is the one quarter twist in our two episode arc. So about one quarter through a well-structured story, we see something come in from outside the protagonist and spin the story in a new direction. And we get that here because now our story will focus on Angel trying to bring a Cathala awake to swallow the world and Buffy stopping him. A Cathala looks a little bit like the judge from Surprise and Innocence. So it is another callback to that pivotal Buffy Angel episode. And I don't think it's an accident that with the judge, Spike and Drew wanted to essentially end the world by ridding the earth of the plague of humanity. And here, Angel wants to have the world sucked into hell. We cut to a commercial and then we are back in the library. Giles gets off the phone. He tells the others that the artifact, meaning that rock, is missing and the curator is dead. Buffy says, and we're sure it was the tomb of Alfalfa? And she will mangle the name throughout the episode. Giles corrects her, and Willow asks what sucking into hell means exactly. Giles says the demon dimension is different from ours. With one breath, Akathala sucks the world into it, and all non-demon life will suffer horrible eternal torment. Buffy says, so that would be the literal sucked into hell. Neat. Buffy tells Willow she should try the curse. Kendra, in a much more kind way than Xander, says, I tend to side with your friend Xander. Angel should be killed. And Buffy says, she'll fight Angel. She'll kill him if she has to. But if she loses, Willow might be their only hope. Willow says, I don't want to be the only hope. I crumble under pressure. Let's have another hope. Kendra pulls out a sword from a case that she brought with her. And she says they have another hope, a sword blessed by the knight who originally slew Akathala. If all else fails, this might stop him. Willow needs another day to figure out the spell, and she needs an orb of Thessala, whatever that is. Giles says, it's a spirit vault for rituals of the undead. I've got one. I've been um, using one as a paperweight. This is a nice callback to the episode Passion, the one where Jenny was killed. If you remember, she was in the shop to get an orb of Thessala, and the shopkeeper scoffed at the people who buy them as New Age paperweights. Giles says Angel has a ritual of his own to complete before he can remove the sword, and hopefully it will take some time. This, at the moment, seems like a bit of a throwaway line or a way to explain why we don't immediately have the ritual go forward. But it turns out that this is key to a development at the very end of the episode. We switch to Drusilla. Spike is in another room alone and he's out of his wheelchair. She calls to him and he hops into it just before she comes into the room. And she says it's time to begin. In the long hallway, a man is on his knees. His shirt is off. He's tied up. 
An angel recites words for the ritual, ending with, bear witness as I ascend, as I become. Spike looks bored. Angel vamps out. He bites the guy, and there is blood on Angel's hand. And Angel says, everything I am has led me here. We switch to Manhattan, 1996. Angel is again in an alley. So we have the repetition of that image from when he became a vampire. He looks very grubby. He chases a rat and misses and falls into bags of garbage. A man a bit shorter and slighter than Angel, who's wearing a bowler hat, observes this and says, you're so sad, a vampire with a soul. He takes Angel for a walk, introduces himself as Whistler, says he's technically a demon, but they're not all bad. And he buys Angel a hot dog and tells him that butchers are throwing out blood every day and that Angel's here living on rats, and he needs to live in the world a little. He also tells Angel he can go either way from here, become a more vile rodent than he already is, or he can become someone. Whistler wants to show him something, or rather someone, and Angel can decide. The next scene visually contrasts to the alley. It is bright and sunny and open, Buffy is walking out of a high school with three friends. This is a flashback. She has very long hair and she has a lollipop. Angel is parked a little distance away in a black car with blacked out windows. He rolls down one a little and peers through. An echo of that confessional scene with Drusilla where he was hidden from her by that screen. Buffy, uh, very bubbly, is telling her friends how her dad wants her to wear a dress to the dance that she already wore before. And she says, and I'm like, Dad, why do you hate me? One of her friends asks if Tyler is taking her to the dance. And she says, where were you when I got over Tyler? But then she says he'd have to crawl on his hands and knees to get her to go to the dance with him. And he's scheduled to do that after class, so she's going to wait. As her friends leave, she says, call me, call me, call me. So she seems very much like Cordelia, though a bit nicer. Perhaps I'm just reading that in because I want to. But I do think that is the feel of the scene. Buffy sits on the steps after her friends leave. A man comes up to her. He's balding. He has kind of a big mustache. He wears a suit that is, uh, looks like a cheaper version of what Giles wears. The man says... Buffy Summers? And Buffy says, yeah, hi, what? She asks if he's from the department store because she was going to pay for that lipstick, really. He tells her her destiny awaits. She says she's destiny free. And he says she alone can stop the vampires. About 32 minutes in, it's night. Buffy fights a vampire in a park. She's struggling and stumbling, but she finally gets it on the ground. She stakes the vampire but misses the heart, tries again, and hits it, and she leaps or tumbles back in shock when the vampire dusts. And the watcher says, you see, you see your power. Angel is watching from a distance, and we continue in his point of view, looking into Buffy's house. Joyce is yelling at her about being late and not even calling. Buffy says she was with Tyler and lost track of time. 
Joyce is still upset but says she was just worried. Buffy goes into another room but she overhears Hank and Joyce arguing. Hank is angry at Joyce. He says she won't discipline Buffy and he always has to be the ogre. This is a callback to season one nightmares where Buffy, one of her biggest fears was that she was the cause of the divorce. She was why her father left. At about 33 minutes in, we switch back to Whistler and Angel, and Whistler says the Slayer will have it tough. She's just a kid. Angel says he wants to help her. He wants to become someone. So we have seen Buffy and how she becomes the Slayer, Something that we didn't get to see in the series before this, and it seems very fitting to have it here. And I think that flashback works because it is part of Angel's story, which is told through these flashbacks. So unlike flashbacks in some episodes, it doesn't slow or stop the story. It is part of the story. Whistler tells Angel it won't be easy The more he is in the world, the more he'll see how apart he is from it. We switch to present day. In the long hallway, Angel is continuing the ritual, and he says, I have strayed, I have been lost. He approaches Akathala, grabs the sword, we get bright flashing lights, and cut to a commercial. We return to the same scene, the lights are flashing, Angel yanks the sword, but he can't pull it out and he's thrown back, a sort of echo of that scene of Buffy falling back the first time she dusted the vampire. Spike says, someone wasn't worthy. Angel is angry, Spike is amused, Drusilla is disappointed and says, what will they do? Angel says, what we always do, turn to an old friend and assures them they'll have their Armageddon. The first time I watched this, I did not even think about Giles or what Giles had been explaining to the others about Angel having a ritual to complete. So we didn't realize the old friend Angel referred to was Giles. I love this because it is that setting up where we are surprised, um, at least most audience members I think were surprised when it turns out they are after Giles, and yet it fits so well. And when you rewatch, you see how that was foreshadowed. So you are surprising the audience, but you're not blindsiding them. At school, Buffy is taking an exam. A vampire shrouded in a blanket walks in and uh, lots of sunlight in the classroom. So she is beginning uh, her whole body to smoke as she speaks. She says, uh, tonight, sundown, at the graveyard, you will come or more will die. And then she bursts into flames. Again, raising the question for me, why are vampires willing to do these things? We have seen it before, but, you know, what's, what's the payoff for them? But it's very dramatic, and it fits that moment in the beginning when Buffy was going to send a message to Angel through a vampire In the library, our friends are talking about what to do next. Buffy says she has to go meet Angel tonight. 
the vampire said, otherwise more will die. Kendra then wants to go with her, but Buffy says no. Kendra should stay to protect the others. She reasons that as long as Angel's fighting her, he can't do the ritual to end the world. Buffy asks Willow if she's ready with the spell. Willow says she needs about half an hour once they get everything set up. And Giles tells Buffy she just needs to hold Angel off for that long. Now we see that after that conflict, the friends are united in supporting Buffy because Cordelia says, why not wait here, see if Angel calls her, and she'll know the spell worked. But Buffy says she can't risk him killing any more people. Cordelia asks a question many audience members might be asking. Why doesn't Buffy just stay there and stay safe? And this is a good way to deal with objections your audience might have or questions about the choices your characters make is to have another character articulate them so your protagonist or whoever it is can answer. As Buffy is leaving, Xander says, be careful. He sounds supportive. I'm sure he still disagrees with all of this, but he has calmed down and is offering support. Kendra gives Buffy Mr. Pointy, her lucky steak, showing solidarity with Buffy. And Buffy says, you named your steak? Remind me to get you a stuffed animal. This shows vulnerability for Kendra and the bond between them, making what happens in the climax more heartbreaking. And we are moving toward the climax of the episode, which will be our midpoint of the two-episode story arc. At the graveyard, Angel says, Hello, lover. I wasn't sure you'd come. And Buffy says, after your immolationogram, I had to show. But she asks, shouldn't he be out destroying the world, pulling the sword out of Al Franken or whatever it is? He says time enough for that. She's the one thing in the world that he will miss. They fight. We're at 38 minutes in. Willow starts the ritual. She is sitting at or I think on the library table. And Giles reads Latin. She reads English. Cordelia walks in a circle around them with incense. Xander stands on that second level where all the bookshelves are. And Kendra is near the main library double door that leads to the school. Now we reach the climax of the episode. Vampires attack from behind Xander and grab him. More come in the library doors. Giles yells at Cordelia and Willow to run. He and Kendra fight. Cordelia and Willow run up the stairs. In the fighting up there, a bookcase is pushed over on Willow and pins her. We switch to Buffy and Angel fighting. Angel says, is it me or is your heart not in this? Buffy says, let's finish this, you and me. And Angel laughs. He says, you never learn, do you? This wasn't about you. This was never about you. Buffy turns away and starts running. He calls after her, and you fall for it every single time. Buffy runs through the Sunnydale streets. Drusilla walks into the library, claps her hands, and says, enough. 
Giles has been subdued. Drusilla fights Kendra first physically, but then she gets her by the throat. And looking right into her eyes, Drusilla kind of moves her her two fingers with her long red fingernails in front of Kendra's face and says, be in my eyes, be in me. Kendra sways along with Drusilla and we cut between Buffy running through the streets of Sunnydale and Kendra swaying in rhythm with Drusilla. Then Drusilla slashes Kendra's throat with her fingernail and draws a line of blood across it, like what we saw Darla do to herself with Angel. Here we are at the two-part episode midpoint. So we see a major reversal. And what is fascinating to me here is the reversal itself escalates. We think that we have hit the worst and it just keeps getting worse. Because here, Kendra dies, Drusilla drops her on the floor. And that seems like that is our major reversal. Drusilla says, let's get what we came for. And the vampires drag Giles miles away. So this ups the stakes for the reversal because it is not just killing Kendra. It is taking Giles, the person that Buffy needs and relies on. Remember in Passion, she told Giles, I can't do this without you. We hear Whistler again and he says in voiceover, the bottom line is even if you see them coming, you're not ready for the big moments. No one asks for their life to change. Not really, but it does. He is speaking as Buffy runs into the school through the hallways now in slow motion and the Buffy Angel theme music plays. As Whistler finishes saying, but it does, Buffy reaches the library. She stops, stares at Kendra, and again in slow motion, runs to Kendra, drops to the floor, and bends over Kendra's body. The theme music continues to play, and Whistler says, so what are we? Helpless? Puppets? No. The big moments are gonna come. You can't help it. It's what you do afterwards that counts. That's when you find out who you are. We are seeing Buffy with the camera angle from behind. She is holding Kendra's hand and a gun comes into the frame and a cop's voice says, freeze. We get even higher stakes because now Buffy is found over this dead body and the police are right there who have been so absent in Sunnydale. To be continued flashes on the screen and Whistler says, you'll see what I mean. And that is it for the episode. There is an interview with Joss Whedon on the DVD. It is split into two parts, one for Becoming Part 1 and one for Becoming Part 2. The interesting stuff, at least what I think you'll find interesting, really all goes to Part 2. So I will wait and talk about it next Monday. I do have a bit to talk about with spoilers, so I hope that you will stick around. If not, thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next time for Becoming Part 2.
And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. There is so much in this episode that leads to the climax of the two-parter. Snyder saying to Buffy, give me a reason to kick you out. And at the end, he will do exactly that. Um, Very close to the end of the episode. Giles explaining what it means, the literal being sucked into hell. We so need this because we have to understand the horrible choice Buffy faces at the end of Becoming Part 2. Akathala is beginning to awaken. Angel has come back to being himself. Yet, if she doesn't kill him, the entire world will be sucked into hell. And Giles has made that so clear. So the first time watching, we don't know what that's setting up. Again, it just seems like it's saying the stakes are really high here. The whole world is um, hanging in the balance, but we have no idea that that is going to present Buffy with this awful choice. The moment when Darla says, close your eyes before biting Angel and starting to turn him into a vampire. I had forgotten that she says those words, and that is what Buffy says to Angel before she kills him. Close your eyes. And this is the part, uh, if you listen to Still Pretty, co-host Lonnie Diane Rich says, always makes her cry, just the theme music and close your eyes, and I am right there with her. It is just heartbreaking. Also adding to that scene, the heartbreak of that scene, we saw with Angel when he is cursed the first time that as the soul is restored, he is confused. He doesn't remember what he did as a vampire at first. And when he's saying killed, I don't, I don't. And then we see it hit him. So we have established that Angel, when his soul is restored, he won't remember. So to him, it's it's just, he's confused, but he's back with Buffy, who he loves. It would be easier for her if he were racked with guilt, if he remembered being in jealous and all the things he did, but he doesn't, and she has to kill him anyway. That is another way that these flashbacks are used to such great effect because they are telling their own story, and yet we don't know it, but they are setting up this to be the most um, intense moment of the show. There is also a lot of foreshadowing for Willow's story arc here. And I had forgotten how early this started. Giles says this spell requires knowledge of the black arts and uh, that Willow might open a door she can't close. And of course, we will see that happen in uh, season six when Willow goes on to do another spell even more intense than this one where she has to get the urn of Osiris on the black market where it is clearly a very dangerous spell, and we see what it does to her even as she casts the spell. This is the one to bring Buffy back from the dead. Then throughout the season, we see the repercussions of that. We see Willow becoming darker and darker. Even her saying, oh, I researched the black arts for fun, educational fun. To some extent, Willow's desire for knowledge trips her up because she can learn so much and so fast, and she wants to 
to. And less and less as the show goes on, does she make that distinction between filling her mind with things that are dark, with things that can lead to evil, and not differentiating. It's all educational fun. So we see those seeds of it here when Willow is really so innocent, just wanting to help, wanting to learn, wanting to help. And then she'll have that transition of, yes, she wants to use magic to help, but she also starts wanting to use it for convenience, to make her life easier, and then to try to change other people and alter them, as she does with Tara, to make her relationships smoother, to get what she wants. So all of that is here. And I would really love to know how much the writers knew about where Willow's character was going with magic. Uh, Kendra's death sets up Faith's arrival in season three. Earlier in the season two, we established that Buffy dying only for a minute called a new slayer. And it's interesting in season three... It seems no one has really thought about whether Kendra's death will call a new slayer until Faith arrives. When she does, I think everyone puts it together and is like, oh, new slayer. Maybe because Buffy disappears at the end of this season and they are so concerned with where she is and finding her that they don't really think about, hey, isn't there another Slayer? All of this raises interesting issues about the whole Slayer line because uh, when Buffy dies a second time at the end of season five, no new Slayer is called. And it seems as if Buffy died the first time calling Kendra and almost as if that line of Slayers um, switched to Kendra. Kendra dies and we get Faith and because Faith is still alive we don't get another Slayer when Buffy dies. Then in season seven the show kind of deals with these questions by saying that the first evil is empowered because of Buffy, not so much her death but because she was returned to life. So it threw off the Slayer line. And I think that's an example, perhaps, of something where there's a bit of an inconsistency in the lore of the show, or there's a question that was set up, and perhaps the writers wrote themselves into a bit of a corner, and what they did was take that and make that the premise for the season. We'll talk about it more then. There is still a bit of an inconsistency because if bringing Buffy back created all this dissonance that gave the first power, why didn't that happen when she died and Xander brought her back to life? Now, I could headcanon some reasons why. I don't think the show ever explicitly gives us one, but we'll see as we go along. I may have forgotten Two more quick foreshadowings. That point of view where we are in the head of someone who is like running through grass and breathing hard, we will see that again in season three in the episode where Angel comes back. We are in that same point of view, but in that episode, I think it's Beauty and the Beasts, it's called. We don't know who it is who is running through the grass. Is it Oz as a werewolf? Is it this other student who has been making himself into a sort of beast? Or is it Angel? So I like that we will see that imagery again. I don't know if it was purposeful, but it seems like it fits. And finally, uh, just a fun little foreshadowing. 
when Buffy says to the watcher, uh, she thinks he might be from the department store, and she says, oh, I was going to pay for that lipstick, really. In season six, we will find out that Dawn has been shoplifting all over the place. I don't think there's an implication here that Buffy makes a habit of shoplifting, but it is kind of interesting that we get that and pick up on it in season six, that one of the ways that Dawn kind of deals with all the stress she is under is by shoplifting. That is it for spoilers. If you have any thoughts you would like to share for the season two roundup, which I'll be doing in two weeks, please feel free to tweet me at Lisa M. Lilly, L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, hashtag Buffy Story, or to email me, Lisa at LisaLilly.com. And of course, I'm always happy to hear any thoughts or questions about Buffy or writing. If you are a patron, I did release the first patron-only question and answer. You can find that on the Patreon site. You also should have gotten a message from me with a link to that post. If you have any questions you would like me to answer next time, please message me through Patreon or email me. Thanks again for listening. Hope to see you next Monday. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2020. Thank you.